Hello, and welcome back to the latest episode of The Baker's Cup, your favorite podcast. We talk about fantasy, sci-fi, movies, TV, books, comics, pop culture, whatever else, the occasional real-world events, maybe. I don't know, have we ever talked about a real-world event on here? Have I ever talked about a real-world event on here? Oh well, it's irrelevant. Um, thank you for joining us. I am author Nick Langan, <laughs> author and sometimes actor, occasional screenwriter Nick Langan. Award-winning screenwriter, sorry. And uh, <clears throat> I got a fun one today. Uh, a little negative, but like the good kind of negative. But first, got to give a shout-out to our forever sponsor, Plus 5 Charisma. Head on over to Plus 5 Charisma. Get yourself a sweet t-shirt, hoodie, D&D-inspired. Wear your class so that uh, on your chest so that when you go to game night, everyone has no doubt or does not forget, oh, yeah, he's the barbarian. Or, ha, that druid is... Protecting his right to bear arms. Heading over to Plus 5 Charisma. That's plus5charisma.com. Get yourself a t-shirt from a good guy. Support him. Support us. I know that's not as creative as some of the other ads we've done here. But you got to spread out the creative stuff, right? I've been writing some other things and working frantically on some things. So, unfortunately, my my ad writing is, is falling a little bit. I will uh, do my best to change that for next time. So... We talked about the Batman <clears throat> last week, and my thoughts on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna talk about another movie today because I watched it for some reason in the haze of sleep deprivation while trying to get my toddler to go to bed at three in the morning. But uh, this is an older movie, not new yet. I'm gonna guess that most of you haven't seen it. And spoiler alert. I'm not going to recommend you watch this unless you love movies that are so bad that they're good because this definitely falls into that category. Now, I myself am a fan of movies that are so bad that they're good, but I have been informed that not everybody feels this way, most notably my wife. So, your mileage may vary. The movie in question is Pompeii. It is a 2014, I believe, yes, 2014 release. Uh, what a shock. It was released in February, where movies go to die. <laughs> Back when releasing a movie in a certain month in theaters actually meant something or mattered. It is directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who is... Uh, We'll get back to that in a minute. He often does these big-budget, mindless disaster flicks and awful video game adaptation movies. Written by Janet Scott Batchelor, Lee Batchelor, and Michael Robert Johnson. Three people that I, I am not familiar with their other work. And it hasn't, it, what's weird is it has a decent but really weird cast. So if you're not familiar, the cast is Kit Harington, who was Jon Snow on Game of Thrones... Emily Browning, uh, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is she was in Sucker Punch. Kiefer Sutherland, you know, Kiefer Sutherland. Carrie Ann Moss of the <laughs> of the Matrix movies. Jared Harris, who was a, a well-known actor, notably in my mind as uh, Professor Moriarty in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes films. Adewale Akunuye... 
Agbaje. I'm sorry, I know that I butchered that. Another popular actor who's been a bunch of things that I like. He was in The Mummy Returns, The Born Identity. He did a lot of sort of CGI or character work. He was Curse in Thor The Dark World, Killer Croc in The First Suicide Squad, uh, Mr. Echo in Lost. Malco in the fifth season of Game of Thrones, which I don't... I don't remember that character. Uh, several other things. And last but not least of the main cast, Jessica Lucas, who <laughs> I'm looking at right now, and I'm not even sure what she was in the film. Okay, so the setup for this movie, for those that don't know, which again is probably most of you, is that... It takes place with a bunch of characters in and around Pompeii. Of course, Pompeii, the city in Roman times that was beneath a large volcano, which ended up erupting and covering the town, killing most people in ash. Uh, they found a lot of different, well, they found a lot of archaeological evidence over the years digging in the area because the volcanic ash and, and conditions did. Uh, horrifyingly, but also really interestingly, a great job of uh, preserving these people. So, Kit Harrington is your male lead, and he plays a young man who was uh, witnessed, he was a Celt, and he witnessed his village ruthlessly wiped out by the Romans, led by uh, a young Kiefer Sutherland. <clears throat> And he escapes, but then ends up being sold into slavery. And so, of course, he vows revenge on the people that kills his family and, and kills his village. Um, Kiefer Sutherland, in the meantime, over the course of, I think it's like 16 or 17 years, Kiefer Sutherland rises in power and ends up being a senator, maybe? Something? Corvus. Uh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I, th I think a senator. Um. And uh, yeah. Uh, Kit Harrington continues. Uh, they they just call him the Celt, ruthlessly. You know, super shredded warrior. He gets sold to a group after a sort of local small time gladiator match where he. I think goes into the fight, if I remember correctly, with no weapon, and fights four-armed dudes and just effortlessly dispatches them. So he gets bought along with a bunch of other people, and he's brought along with some others, including Atawale, to, um, uh, to Pompeii, because they're going to christen this sort of new relationship between Pompeii and the Roman government with a bunch of gladiator games. So... Kit Harrington is told that he's going to fight Adewale because Adewale is the sort of reigning champ and also has one more fight before he earns his freedom under Roman law. <coughs> he, uh, Emily Browning falls in love with Kit Harrington after he kills a horse to put it out of its misery in a very bizarre scene. Kiefer Sutherland is pursuing Emily Browning romantically, even you know though he's significantly her senior at this point, and you find out that she actually came back from Rome because of his weird advances. Carrie Ann Moss and Jared Harris play the rulers of Pompeii, who are 
striving to make political alliances and not take off Kiefer Sutherland, but Emily Browning plays their daughter. So you've got all these different... Uh, Jessica Lucas, I think, is the sort of family servant, or Emily Browning is like a handmaiden. I'm not sure what the Roman equivalent would be. So you've got all these converging stories, of course, in the background of the, the volcanoes preparing to erupt. And the stage is set for a tale of revenge and brutality carried out against the backdrop of a massive natural disaster. Um, Positives. As far as some of the establishing shots, and actually, let's see, the cinematography was by Glenn McPherson, who... What else did he work on? Uh, He's got quite an extensive career. Looks like he worked on Resident Evil Afterlife with Paul W.S. Anderson. Ugh. The Three Musketeers. Reboot. Other things. Okay. So never mind. He he really hasn't done anything that I would consider good. Like mo- movies that he that I would consider good. Um, you know, Romeo Must Die is fun. Uh, exit <laughs> Exit Wounds. Um, but I will say that his establishing shots, especially of the mountain of Pompeii when there there are a few shots throughout the movie that actually slow down and look really good. The set pieces are fine. The, you know, lighting and that sort of stuff, particularly when some of the disaster stuff begins to happen, it's, it's not poorly shot, per se. So, that's fine. Um... <sighs> I'm trying... I'm try, I always try to do good stuff first. The actors are... You've got a decent cast with this movie. This is definitely a great example of how important writing is. And not to toot my own horn here, I'm not saying that I'm the greatest or anything like that, but you'll often see this, uh, more so with comic books, but also with movies where writing is often shuffled to the back, the the least important aspect of the of the the artwork because both comic books and movies are visual mediums and so it is possible to have a really cool comic book say or a really beautiful looking movie where the writing is not great Uh, a good movie example of this if you haven't seen it is The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy that movie it's still a good movie but if you were to take out a lot of the visual stuff and just look at the script, you would probably be not very impressed. The It's really a case of the sum of of the whole being much greater, or what is it, the uh, the totality being much greater than the sum of the, than the individual parts. I'm totally butchering that phrase. You know what I'm saying. If you were to take each individual element, particularly the writing in, in The Revenant, you'd be like, uh, okay, I mean, I guess it's okay. But that movie, in my opinion, is still really good because of all the other things, because of the performances, elevating the very scant writing in most scenes, the beautiful locations, the way it's shot, the emotional depth, the lighting, all that. Uh, comic books, you get this a lot too, where where because artists do what's viewed as a majority of the work, and, and who can argue, they do do the majority of the work. Um, I have a sh- couple a couple things, a couple comics out, and... The um, 
Crowns of Hebron is obviously a comic and, and a five-issue miniseries. Or if you've seen the interview that Gail and I did with Elisa Miko, it's on our YouTube channel and also on Spotify and whatnot as just the audio. And she's worked with me on a couple of things. She did the cover for Shadow of the Dreamer and other oddities. And she did, she worked on, what, we, we did a short comic that she drew, did everything for for me. And then she and her husband, we talked about this in the interview, did, uh, worked on the coloring and the text, the letters for a short comic that was in an anthology. Um, you know, there's no question that the amount of time per panel, say, that she spent drawing and, and doing all the art for the panel is greater in most cases than the amount of time that I spent writing the panel. Um, but, so you see this a lot on, like, job boards where aspiring writers are trying to find artists and artists want to shaft them or no, that's the wrong phrase uh, artists want <clears throat> expect a much greater percentage of any profit or to be paid up front or whatever because the art's so important but the thing is it's visual storytelling right there's two words in that the first word is visual okay sure it's that visual might be the most important but storytelling is still a word and that's in this phrase that's used to describe comics and film tv and so it is possible to get a really beautifully drawn comic book that's just freaking stupid. And obviously, it is possible to get a movie that the writing falls short, or in this case, is really just poor. <laughs> uh, and so the actors do the best that they can, I think, with what they have. It's just that they don't have that much. You know, Kit Harrington is obviously, his whole thing in Game of Thrones is the uh, stoic reserved for the most part in a lot of ways typical loner hero in in these kinds of stories and he does pretty much the exact same thing he's a little more cocky in this he, he there's a few scenes where he tries to kind of play up the self-assuredness but he never really does anything with it and I don't think that's him I just think they they didn't really want to know want to know what to do with it you know Emily Browning is a, is a pretty good actress but she just comes off as just extremely stereotypical maiden sort of needs to be rescued and I'm fine with maidens need to be rescued but it's just they don't do anything interesting with it the scene where she falls in like immediately falls in love with him where he kills this wounded horse to put it out of its misery is it's just really bizarre I, I would assume that would be kind of a common thing in these times, right? If a horse gets really badly injured, and yet it's treated as if, oh my gosh, only he had the strength to do what needed to be done for that poor wounded animal. I love him now. You know, and of course for him, he's like, well, she's hot, so uh, I guess that makes sense why he would <laughs> want to save her or whatever. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a big romance guy. I think a lot of movie romances are kind of cheesy or, or abrupt, but this definitely takes that to a whole nother level. Um, who else we got? I mean, Adewale is, is, again, I'm apologizing for butchering his name, but he's a likable actor, and I think he does the best, he's probably my favorite character in this thing, just because he's just one of those actors that's just so charismatic, and so, he just projects likability, um, and also that physical confidence as well, it's a good mix for things, so, you know, some of the fight scenes, he he's probably the 
best, although the fight scenes, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, Kiefer Sutherland is a really bizarre choice. I, I like him as an actor, but as a, an evil, corrupt, mustache-twirling Roman politician, just very strange. And, I mean, he's hamming it up. He's probably having a great time when this was filmed. You know, they're paying him money, and he gets to just be a total goob. So, all right, sure, whatever. So, <clears throat> and then Carrie Ann Moss, just a very strange choice. And Jared Harris, it's weird for me after I really identified Jared Harris as Moriarty. So to see him as this, not bumbling, but weak, very concerned politically, and, and ultimately, yeah, weak father and, and politician was kind of strange. And <clears throat> I never really get a sense why they're doing what they're doing. The movie is pretty short. It was I want to say like 94, 95 minutes. And so there's just... Not that I want to watch a three-hour Paul W.S. Anderson movie. But... Uh, yeah, it just didn't give anything the time that was would have been required, I think, for it to work. There, the, In an even more extreme sense, this is the kind of thing, before I go any further with any of the specifics, this is the kind of thing as a movie that I watched and I thought, there are a lot of really neat ideas here. I mean, just the premise of the movie, hey, we're going to have all these characters doing stuff in their day-to-day -day life and maybe some more extreme you know, the revenge story or whatever, that's fine. And setting that against the backdrop when we as the audience know that this volcano is a ticking time bomb that's going to go off and going to kill everybody, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad setup for a story. I'm not usually, a, I'm, you know, some people really like those disaster movies, m mostly Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, I'm not a huge fan, but that's certainly a compelling thing. And whenever you add a ticking time bomb like that, a clock to your story, your your role-playing game, your video game, whatever, like whenever you add that element, it, it ups the tension. Um, <clears throat> a great small example of this is most of the good fights, most of the best fight scenes in the Indiana Jones movie trilogy because there's only three Indiana Jones movies. Sadly, they never made another one. The you know the fight in Raiders of the Lost Ark with the big, strong Nazi pilot or a guy by the airfield. There's the spinning plane, right, where he's fighting. And in, in, so, what would be kind of a an average or bland boxing style fist fight is upped several antes because this plane propeller is getting it's getting closer, and also they have to solve the problem because the Nazis are, are loading the Ark and they're leaving. And also then gasoline drenches the entire airway where they are. And then also Miriam gets stuck in the cockpit of the plane while we know that the plane's going to ignite. So like they keep upping and adding. So having a volcano that's going to erupt and potentially kill every character that you're establishing could be a really good and and a give me almost as far as upping the tension and I just didn't feel that at all because uh, the movie fell short in most other regards so the first half of this movie is basically a cheaper worse version of the first part of the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe it's I mean literally down to the part the point where 
they are supposed to have Kit Harrington fight Adewale. They're supposed to be the main event of this gladiatorial match, but Kit Harrington pisses some people off. And so they end up deciding that he's got to go, but they can't kill him outright. So they end up having a, rec- a, recreate, or a recreation of Kiefer Sutherland's character, his victory over the Celts. They end up having that. So they have Kit Harrington, Adewale, and a couple other guys chained up so that they're stuck in the center of the arena, and then they're facing, you know, two twice as many guys acting as the Romans, including a, a, a chariot or two or a couple horsemen or something. And so it's the exact same thing with Gladiator, right, where Russell Crowe and the rest of the guy, the Gladiators are sent out as the quote-unquote bad guys to the Romans, and they're severely disadvantaged, but then end up because they're intelligent and, and good fighters and, and clever, they end up overcoming and winning that fight. I mean, exact same thing. The difference is, and I said I would allude, I alluded to this a few minutes ago, the fights in this are shot so chop. Well, I don't know shot choppily, but definitely edited choppily. You know, another weird choice. You have a bunch of actors who have done action in, in your, your main guys. Um, for Sutherland obviously has done a bunch of action movies you know Kit Harrington, young fit guy mostly known for Game of Thrones so like a lot of sword work you'd think he'd have some experience with that Adewale has done a lot of different stuff with action and, and some other sort of, so let these guys do the action scenes and film it but it's just that choppy you know, they're trying to make it frantic and feel gritty and violent, but it just gives you a headache style of editing. My favorite style of editing in action films. Just kidding. And, yeah, so the first half is a direct ripoff of Gladiator. But there were interesting ideas that are that are set up. I mean, like I said, the premise itself, the idea that Jared Harris is sort of trying to smooth with Kiefer Sutherland, that the, the leader of Pompeii, like they want the blessing of Rome, but also they really don't like them. You know, you could have some interesting things, subtle things going there if the writing was better and if I think there's a little more time to develop that because I don't understand why, why, like I, Nick, understand why Pompey would want the blessing and the protection of Rome and to enter into various deals. But as an audience member watching this film, it was never made clear what the deal was. Why do they care? Why is this important? I don't understand. Um, the the love story I already mentioned, very abrupt. Kiefer Sutherland's motivation, I mean, he really is just like a mustache tour. I was waiting for him to tie somebody to train tracks, and then I remembered that there were no train tracks because it was, you know, Pompeii. So just a lot of, of issues with that, but, but so many cool ideas. So the, if the first half of the movie is... A gladiator ripoff. The second half does some of its own thing. You have the the destruction start, and it's clear that I mean this is obviously what Paul W. S. Anderson loves. He he makes a bunch of these disaster and apocalyptic style movies, and it's you know the whole second half of the movie. I think I didn't sit and count the timer or the the time on it, but is mostly this the things happening during the the gradual progression of this volcano's eruption. And again, you had some some interesting ideas. So like the gladiator fight is interrupted 
by the first salvo, oh, the opening salvo of, of earthquakes and, and ash. And some, some, some things happen, you know, Jared Harris and Carrie Ann Moss try to kill Kiefer Sutherland's character because he's made it clear that he's a total slime bag, but then he, he manages to kill them, or at least Jared Harris. Um, Emily Browning is taken home, but then is trapped, right? So we're trying to set up, they're trying to set up more stakes, but it's just, it's just too rushed and, and too wooden. Um, and, you know, Kit Harrington and Adewale now have a sort of mutual respect for each other, which fine. Uh, that was probably the only thing that I kind of believed in the movie. They start off as these adversaries, and Kit Harrington is very cocky and self-assured, but he is, I mean, he backs it up, and Adewale has, like, got that, um, he's older, he's more experienced, he's been doing this a while, he's grizzled, so he doesn't like this young buck coming in, and also... You can understand he he thinks that he's going to be granted his freedom if he wins, and so nothing's going to stand in the way of that. But as these guys come together in their mutual hatred of the Romans, <laughs> that was the one thing that I was like, yeah, this this works okay. It's not great, but um, I believe that that sort of dynamic that these guys forced into this conflict, and then eventually, you know, the enemy and my enemy sort of deal. So that was good. But other than that. <sighs> The second half again. I mean, there are some things that were really cool in in theory, um, and for the most part, I think the movie looked okay. But the second half of the movie is where the budget really shows. So this was filmed on a budget of between eighty and a hundred million. Uh, I don't have exact numbers. So a uh, a decent budget, but that's uh, a lot of CG. And it's 2014, so, you know, it's not that long ago, but CG, every couple months, I feel like CGI in movies makes leaps and bounds that are just incredible. And this does not have that. And so, they're, the stuff that's done mostly on set, the smaller contained sets, like Kit Harrington goes to rescue Emily Browning from her collapsing house, the shots inside the house that are that are mostly built, you can tell, those look fine, Those look those look okay. But when you cut back to the, some of the wide shots of the destruction or the, the harbor uh, waves welling up into these massive tidal waves because of the earthquakes and stuff and, and hitting Pompeii and stuff, that stuff just it just doesn't look good. And I'm willing to forgive visual effects in movies for not being so good, especially if they're not current right now movies, but only if the story is good. <laughs> you know, only if everything else is good. You know, you watch some uh, some older movies. I just recently rewatched the Ben Hur movie from the fifties. I want to say with Charlton Heston, and yeah, there's a lot of shots in that movie where I look at it and and I'm like, well, that's a matte painting. It's just a painting of the background of the back, but it still is shot very creatively, and the writing is really good. The actors are all doing a good job, and so in that regard, it still holds up. And I think in some ways the obvious special effects or what have you uh, lend to a kind of charm to older movies that are that are still enjoyable. But in this case, this movie is only six, uh, eight years old. And yeah, some of that stuff doesn't look good. And then so Kiefer Sutherland... Uh, 
you know, kidnaps Emily Browning because when you're a corrupt Roman politician and literally the whole city that you're in is under threat of extinction from a volcano, you have to get personal revenge by going back and kidnapping this daughter who I guess you fancied before or, uh, you know, young lady who fancied before because the climax of the movie needs to happen, I guess. Uh, again, just no sense, no sense of why he's doing what he's doing, no sense of the relationship between the two of them. Did something happen back in Rome? That like, You know, just nothing. Um, this leads to a an interesting fight. You have Adewale fighting um, an actor, I'm not sure which actor, but there's an actor that was sort of the muscle for Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, his right-hand man who uh, beat senseless people for him, and they have this fight in the crumbling arena while the volcano is going off in the background. That could have been really cool. It's kind of lame. <laughs> and the way that it's resolved is just goofy. Um, and then you have Kid Harrington on horseback chasing Kiefer Sutherland in a chariot with Emily Browning tied up in the chariot through the crumbling streets of Pompeii. And again, this could have been actually pretty awesome, but the CGI and the, the pacing of it are just not right. And then you end up having a sword fight between these two men in the crumbling hellscape that the city has become. And again, I, I was sitting there watching this, and I was like, man, this could have been just sick, right? I mean, two guys, you have this massive disaster going on, and you just have two guys in a down-and-dirty fight with gladiuses on these like crumbling steps in the city of Pompeii as volcanic ash dra- like falls around them and uh, Emily Browning is frantically working to get free so that she can escape and like like that's what I mean that could have been really really cool I'm thinking about how to you know do something similar in something later maybe or but it just all feels kind of silly and then uh and then Kid Harrington, who has been pursuing, uh, pursuing Kiefer Sutherland for this, you know, 17 years since his village was wiped out, beats him and chains him to the chariot so that he can hopefully die in the volcanic explosion, even though he's been seeking revenge this whole movie and has the guy where he wants him, and there's no guarantee. I mean, I understand. It's probably going to kill him, but, you know, you never know. I uh, Again, character motivation is just very questionable. It was played as this sort of triumphant moment, but I was like, no, stab him. Like, you can stab him in two seconds and, and get what you've wanted, you know? Um, so then Kid Harrington and Emily Browning ride out on a single horse, and they fall off the horse, and Kid Harrington is like, you just take the horse, we'll never make it, because he's too slow with two of us, even though Emily Browning looks like she weighs about three pounds. And they decide that they're going to stand and you know, kiss while the shockwave of you know, the volcanic eruption overtakes them and you know so they, they all die I don't know what else I need to say about this um, I just I, I loved it but I also hated it as I said at the beginning of this episode I love movies that are so bad they're good um, my stepdad and I often growing up we would rent particularly on my birthday we would rent you know terrible <laughs> C minus horror movies. Uh, I particularly remember one about killer Komodo dragons. I still remember that, and it was just so bad it's good, right? Uh, Peter Jackson, you know, uh, one of his it might have been his first film, Bad Taste of an Alien Invasion. It's just super low budget, super bad. 
So I appreciate those things. I, I don't think that's what these guys meant to do. They, they didn't set out to make a movie that was so... But it still falls into the category of like so bad that I had it on. And I was up one night, like I said, trying to get my toddler to sleep. And I left it on because it was making me chuckle. And I was like, what, what the hell is this? Um, but do I recommend Pompeii? No, I don't. I think uh, in the coming weeks I've got several things I'd like to talk about. I want to get out to see the the new movie, The Northmen, because it'll be interesting to see. The Northmen is filmed on a budget now, or I guess filmed last year, on a budget of $90 million. But from the trailers alone, I can tell you that that movie is a work of art, the way that it's shot. So it'll be interesting to compare, because it's filmed for roughly the same budget, but it just, it's a clear example. I mean, uh, Roger Eggers, right, made The Northmen. He made The Lighthouse, which I haven't seen yet, but he made The Witch, which I really like, too. It's a good horror movie. And it's clear that he, he's an artist. He is a filmmaker. And he understands the visual components of story. I think he also writes the things that he films. And so I think when, when you have somebody that's talented enough to do that, that helps because it's one coherent... Even if you have other people help with the script or, you know... It's one coherent vision that ends up... But I'd be interested to compare having watched Pompeii... And if I get a chance to see The Northmen and talk about it... Uh, in addition to the story and everything... I'm going to look back and see, you know, what did they do better? Uh, I'm sure the answer is going to be everything. So, with that, we'll wrap it up for this week's episode. Once again, shout out to Plus 5 Charisma. Head over there... Also, I mentioned this last week, I think, but I'll mention it again. If you're into politics, and particularly if you're uh, down in the Texas region, uh, a good buddy of mine and Galen's, Scott Wingeter, has uh, been starting his own podcast. He's grown like a weed. Uh, He takes himself much more seriously than I do, you know, in a good way. Um, But they talk about, uh, he interviews local politicians and people in that field, He's trying to just, anybody that he can that's that's going into there, he interviews them, talks about their stances. Um, it's a really good uh, stuff. He has got a great breakdown. He's a history teacher as well, so he's got a great breakdown on some of the stuff going on in Ukraine. If you're interested in some more realistic uh, or real-world, rather, applicable things. And, uh, yeah, go ahead and over check him out. It's Impolite Company. I-M, Polite Company, on YouTube. And... Get yourself a shirt from Plus 5 Charisma. And until next time, uh, try to just avoid any Paul W.S. Anderson movies that you can. Somehow this guy keeps getting funding for movies, but, you know, it's way harder for me than him. I don't understand. (laughs) So uh, until the Beggar's Cup starts making movies. So until next uh, week, I guess I'll catch you all later.